What a privilege it is to come and speak at junior high. Usually I'm leading worship, but this is the first time I get to actually teach at junior high. So thanks for having me. Um, why don't we do this? Let's just shake out our arms. We've been doing a lot of things this morning. So let's shake out our arms. I know. It's the best thing. Just sometimes it helps us like shift a new gear when we just shake out our arms, get, get the wiggles out. Um, yeah, this morning I'm so excited to just really jump in. Um, but first, let's close our eyes and let's just center in and focus. Let's close our eyes and I'm just going to pray for us as we start. So many giggles. It's so good. <laughs> let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are already here. We're so grateful that we don't have to do anything to make you come or to make you stay, but you're just already in the room. So we say thank you, and we're excited to see what you have for us this morning. So in your name, amen. Okay, so how many of you guys have ever had an embarrassing moment? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Okay, so you may or may not know, but my life is like is like one big embarrassing moment. Like I'm always like tripping on things and like saying things I shouldn't say, you know, do you guys want to hear just for fun? My most recent embarrassing story. Yeah. Okay. Are you sure? It's pretty bad. Okay. Do it. Okay. So this is what happened. I was on the Madras missions trip. Uh, high schoolers were you, are any high schoolers on this? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. And I decided to play this game with another one of the leaders where you fill your mouth with water. Two people fill their mouths with water, like a big gulp of water. And you stand in front of each other, and you try and make the other person laugh. So the goal is like, so then you'll end up spitting water in somebody's face, right? Which is already disgusting, <laughs> Okay, also, if you don't know this, it's, like, really easy to make me laugh, like, un, like, and to make me, like, lose it. Like, I can't, I'm laughing so hard I can't breathe, right? So, me and, <laughs> oh, gosh. okay, back, a little bit of backstory. We just ate pizza, like, lots of pizza. Oh, everyone's like, oh, no, it is as bad as you think it is. It's so bad. Okay, so... Me and this leader, <laughs> we, we take a huge gulp of water, like a huge gulp, and immediately I spit it all over his face, and then I started throwing up. <laughs> I, I cover my mouth, and then I just start throwing, like I throw up my, <laughs> you're thinking this is so gross, okay, so, oh gosh, I almost tripped right there, okay, so I like spit all the water out, and then I and then I just slowly walk to the trash can, <laughs> pretend like nothing happened, you know? That's pretty bad, right? Thank you. Do you want to, like, give me a round of applause or something for that? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Not that much applause. Okay. Here is another question for you. Why are we so embarrassed when things go a certain way or don't go a certain way? 
right? I'd say that there are many reasons, but there is this overwhelming, overarching pressure that we face every day. And that pressure is that we really care about what people think of us, right? We like really care about it. We care so much about what people think of us that a lot of the times it either keeps us from doing what we actually want to do, or we don't consider what we even want because we're too afraid it'll be against what everyone else is doing. We care so much about what people think that there's this shame and embarrassment that happens when we're being ourselves. And it looks a little different or when things go particularly wrong, like when you throw up pizza on somebody's face. Um, but here's the cool thing. The life of David actually speaks into this pressure, the pressure and fear of people's thoughts. It's been amazing for us as a community, right? To see the life of David all the way up until this point. So let's continue to see what the Lord wants to teach us today by looking at the life of David. So turn your Bibles. If you need a Bible, um, we have people passing them out. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. Awesome. So turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 6. And we're going to start in verse 17 or verse 16. So 2 Samuel 6, verse 16. So let me give you a little bit of context for what is happening in this story. So there's this nation, this family called the Israelites. And at this point in time, God revealed his presence through this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. I know this can be confusing because we have access to the Holy Spirit and Christ lives in us. But before Jesus came and died on a cross, God still wanted to be close to his people. The Ark of the Covenant was this golden box, this like big golden box. Everyone say golden box that carried 10 commandments and some other miraculous signs that all commuted one thing. That God wanted to be close to his people. That God wanted to be integrated into every part of their lives. So, in this story, the Israelites are moving the Ark of the Covenant. And this is like a big deal. So whenever they move this thing, right, they're moving um, where the presence of God will dwell. And so, the, the people who had to move this thing called the Ark had to be really, really careful. Um, There was a lot of laws about how it should be moved, and God really spoke into that because it was very holy and sacred. So just for the sake of time, we're we're not going to read the entire passage, but I encourage you to read it on your own so that you could dive deeper into the passage. But as a quick note, in this particular story, David had been anointed king, And now the ark was being moved to the city of David. So let's pick up in verse 16. It will be on the screens as well. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins, yum, to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, which is also his wife, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to me, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these servants you spoke of, will I will be held in honor. So this morning, we're going to break down this passage, and we're going to see that David shows us how to live a life of undignified worship. And this is the definition of undignified. Up on the screen, it'll say, appearing... Foolish and unseemingly lacking in dignity. See, David shows us in this passage that a life of worship to God and his and in his presence is best when it's extravagant and full of joy and undignified. And so this morning, here's my first point. David prepared a place for the Lord. Have you ever prepared a place for somebody? Yes? No, maybe. Here's an example. When I first um, graduated from college, I lived in this tiny apartment, and um, I lived with four other girls, so five girls, and I was absolutely the messiest of them all. And there was one weekend where all of our moms were going to be at our apartment at some point in the day. And so we basically started freaking out and we were like, oh my gosh, everything is so messy. Like our moms are coming. What are we going to do? Like our moms taught us all about cleaning and now we're adults, kind of adults, like pretending to be adults and like everything is super messy. And so we spent that entire Saturday morning just cleaning and cleaning and scrubbing and on the floor. Granted, it was probably all my fault because I was the messiest, but We were preparing a place for our moms. Or another example, this one is more embarrassing. I don't know if you want to hear it. Do you want to hear it? Oh, yes. Okay. So uh, I was in college, and I lived in the dorms, and I had a crush on this guy. Oh. (laughs) And he had to pass by my room to get to, like, his room or his class or whatever. And so I was like... Okay, here we go. I'm going to prepare a place. You know, I would blast his favorite music, which, by the way, I didn't really like. And I would, like, display his favorite books on my, like, desk. And I would, like, have all of his favorite snacks always, like, stashed in my room. Super weird, right? But here's the thing. Did he come and say hi? Yes. Am I, am I telling you to do this? No, but here's the thing. When we prepare a place for somebody, they tend to come around, right? Don't do this. Uh, anyways, when you don't tell your parents, I told you to do this. Okay. Cause I didn't. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. There is a certain power and intentionality when we prepare a place for somebody. So in the passage, verse 17, it says, 
that David pitched a tent for the Ark of the Covenant. See, before, the ark was just moved into different people's homes, into different temples. But David actually pitched a tent, which really, what that meant in that context is that he like basically built a house. He built a house for the ark to go in. And so here are a couple points. Um, three truths. When we see and when we read that David prepared a place for God's presence, we see that he had full confidence that the Lord was actually dwelling there. Right? So many times in our worship, we don't even believe that God's here. Right? And for, for a moment, I mean, when I say the word worship, yes, I am talking about when we come together and worship, right? When we corporately come together. But also, it's not just here, right? It's in, in every area of our life where we're actually inviting God's presence to be here. So, Sometimes we get in here on Sunday morning and we're like, ah, he's not actually here. Like, he's not actually here. We are just singing these songs because that's what we do. But what would happen if we, if just the first step, we actually believed he was in the room? We would do everything differently, right? We would do everything differently. He also had full confidence that the Lord chose to dwell there. It wasn't just out of obligation, God didn't come because he had to. He didn't ask um, the Israelites to move the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David because he had to. It's all because he chose to. He wanted to. So what would happen to our worship if we believed that God was in the room and that he wanted to be in the room? See, we ha- and, and also David had full confidence that he was welcome to be there with God. So there's one thing to believe. Yeah, God's presence is here. He chose to be here. But there's, it's another thing to actually believe that you are invited into that space with him. It's not, there's not this um, separation between you and the presence. But this is actually the reality that we get to be in the presence of God with God. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can say yes. Yeah? Yeah. So this morning, junior high, I'm asking you, what does it look like to prepare a place for God in your life? What does it look like to prepare a place? So I don't know. How many of you guys are involved in sports? Yep. What would it be like to say, God, I invite you as I run this track meet. I invite you during basketball practice. God, I invite you. As I'm, I don't know much about sports. That's pretty much it. (laughs) I'm like track, basketball. God, I invite you as I throw this football. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, you guys can teach me all about sports if you want. I just really don't know much else. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But what does it look like for us to invite God to prepare a place for him in our lives? And I'm not talking about impressing God or working for his affection because the matter of the fact is it's our privilege and honor to host the Lord's presence in our life. See, making space for God looks like inviting him in his presence in everything you do. So let's move on to the next point this morning. Um, That David... David decided to 
give two different offerings. David gave burnt offerings and peace offerings that blessed those around him. So this is what a burnt sacrifice is. Again, this is weird for us because we have Jesus who died on a cross and gave us the Holy Spirit and resurrected, right? We have Jesus, but it was different for them. For them to receive forgiveness of their sins, they had to give burnt offerings. And so David decides to come and give a burnt offering, but he also gives another offering called a peace offering. And what that means is that he's giving gratitude to God for what he has done and what he will do among the people, among the Israelites. And so here's three points on this. The fact that David gave these two different offering, reveal, offerings reveal a couple truths about who he is and what it means to worship. David didn't have to leave his broken life outside of the presence of God. I hear this all the time where worship leaders or or pastors say, Jesus, I pray that we can leave our life outside the doors so we can come and worship. And I think that is fundamentally um, wrong. <laughs> I think that that is the whole point of worship, that it's not that we leave our lives at the door. It's that we bring everything in to Jesus, right? Um, a lot of the times it's like, oh, I just want to leave that thing I'm distracted by outside so I could come and, and worship and forget about it. But let me tell you this, the moment you walk outside the doors, you're just going to have the same thing come up again and again and again. So what would happen if you took that thing and brought it inside these four walls and chose in the space of worship to give that to Jesus? Does that make sense? Yeah. So... I think that this is a really important point. See, worship is coming and bringing our whole selves. You don't have to leave your broken life outside those, those doors. And you don't have to leave your broken life when you approach the presence of God. And the second point is that David didn't have to leave the same. There was redemption, right? So he comes, he brings his broken life, he brings the sins of the nation, and then he doesn't have to leave the same, right? There's actually redemption. There's something that happens in worship when we choose to give God the broken pieces of our life. He actually puts us back together, and it's the most beautiful thing we can encounter. So this is another amazing um, opportunity we have opportunity we have in worship. And the last part of this is that David didn't have to keep all of this blessing to himself. He was actually a blessing to others as well. So one of my favorite worship leaders, she's a really good friend of mine. She used to explain it this way. In a room full of people that are worshiping, there's probably a couple of us or, or, or a couple of you who like sing these songs and they're like, yes, I believe this a hundred percent. It's so easy for me to believe this. Like, yes, God is good and he's peaceful and he's awesome. And he's with me, God with us. He's Emmanuel. Right. But then there's other people, maybe even the person sitting right next to that person. That's like, I don't know if I believe that. Like, I, I see the words on the, on the screen that says God with us, but, like, I don't really see him in my life. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I could actually believe that. But the beautiful opportunity of corporate worship 
is that we can all exist in the same room. And the person who finds it easy to sing the truth of God actually gets to be a voice for the person that can't sing that song today. So that means when you can't sing the song, your friend in the third row is singing it loud and proud for you, right? There there will be moments of um, worship where I I look over at my team and I'm, you know, like just standing like this because I'm like, it's hard for me to believe this today. But I see one of my good friends over there freaking going for it, right? And I'm like, yes, I can believe this because it's true for them today and it's true for me. So this is how... Worship is a blessing to others. It is not just for ourselves. So let's recap so far. David prepares a place for God. And that teaches us that we need to make room for God in our lives. And next, David gave offerings that bless those around him. So that means we can bring our whole selves to worship. And that is where our sin is redeemed, where we express gratitude and where we can be a blessing to those around us. So the last point of the day, as we're kind of wrapping up this morning, I just want to say that David knew who he was. And that gave him the authority to worship the way he did. I have another really great friend, um, and her name is Natalie Mendoza. She got married a couple years ago and is about to have her first baby. Um, woohoo! And she is the one of the people, like one of the pillars in my life that taught me what it meant to be a worshiper and what it meant to be a worship leader. And... She's amazing. She's like taller than me, beautiful, passionate, Hispanic woman. And let me tell you, whenever she starts worshiping, you are either crying, weeping, or like heaving, sobbing as soon as she starts singing, you know? She's one of those people where it's just amazing. They start singing and you're just weeping and you're like, oh, I believe everything. Um, Anyways, whenever she gets on a stage, she'll either like throw her shoes off or like run around or whatever. She's crazy. (laughs) But anyways, she doesn't care if she looks crazy. Um, Every single time that she chooses to stand on a stage, she stands confidently because she knows who she is. And so I had the opportunity to learn under her and be under her leadership for a couple years while I was in school. And I asked her, I was like, Nat, how do you do that? Like every time you start singing, people just start crying. <laughs> like every time I feel like I'm able to really connect with the Lord. And she said, Deb, honestly, she said, Deb, this is not about what happens on a stage. This is about what happens every other day of the week. This is about what happens when you are alone in your room, when you are enjoying God by yourself, that Of course, you could stand up on a stage and confidently worship if on Monday afternoon you are seeking the presence of God and Tuesday evening you are seeking the presence of God and Wednesday morning, you know what I'm saying? See, can you think about that for a second? What would it be like to confidently be who you were in any space? See, if we know who we are in God, that is the most important thing. If we can 
fully be ourselves in the presence of God, we can fully be ourselves everywhere else. So think about walking on your school campus and just completely being yourself. Think about walking in, around in your home or in this community and fully being yourself. I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for us. And so let's recap these, these last three points this morning. So David prepares a place for God. It means we need to make room for God. David gave offerings that bless those around him. And this, guys, is such a key point. We actually get to bring our broken lives to God and find that our sin is redeemed. We are made whole. And the last point, David knew who he was, and that gave him the authority to worship the way he did. And this invites us to the fact that we must cultivate a relationship with God to cultivate a life of undignified worship. So as the worship team comes up, um, we are just wrapping up this morning. But if you could just put your journals and, and phones and Bibles on the floor, I just want to welcome you into a space where we actually get to try this out. Like I said, worship is not just what happens in these four walls. But it also is. It is, this is an important part, right? If we can worship here, if we can be fully ourselves here, then we have the courage to do that in every other space of our life. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. um, Let's close our eyes right now. I just want to hone in on this one part that we must cultivate a relationship with God to cultivate undignified worship. So if we want to worship like David worship, then we actually get to commit to a relationship and a life with God every other day of the week. And this morning, I want to just offer a response to a couple of people. See, the whole point of this story is that David was worshiping and he was going for it. And then his wife said, what are you doing? You're embarrassing us. What are you doing? What are you doing? But David said, I know who I am. I know that I have been chosen by God. I have authority to worship. That's the goal, guys, that we Even when we look around and we see people that we're afraid of or we're afraid of what they're going to think about us, we actually get to stand and say, oh, I actually know who I am. I'm a daughter of God. I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. I am a son of God. And we can worship. We can communicate with our father because we know who we are. So this morning, I just want to offer a response for those who want to make space for God. Those of you who actually do want to invite him into every part of your life, you want to make a room for him, make space. So if that's you, do you want to, can you just raise your hand right now if you want to make space for God in your life? Yeah, we see, we see all these hands that God absolutely sees that this morning 
then why don't we just pray for that right now? God, I pray that you would infiltrate every every aspect of their lives, God. I pray that for those who raise their hand, that that they will be affected by your holy presence, that they'll They'll say over and over again, wow, I didn't believe you could be here, Holy Spirit. God, I didn't know you could be here. I didn't know that you wanted to be here. Different aspects of their life, God, I just pray right now you would show up. And I want to ask for another response right now for those who are crippled by the fear of others' thoughts. Those of you that if somebody said, hey, what are you doing worshiping? It would be absolutely mortifying for you. And I want to pray for those who are so scared and crippled by the fear of what people think of them. With eyes closed around the room, would you raise your hand if that's you? Mm. Yeah, there's this crippling fear. Oh, what is this person going to think about me and that person? Yeah, definitely. So Jesus, I pray right now as we um, step into this space of worship that that fear of other people's thoughts will just continue to fall off. We just pray this in Jesus, in Jesus' beautiful name. We pray that, Father, uh, one by one and little by little, that these fears would fall off, that they would know who they are, that they would know that they are sons and that they are daughters. Guys, why don't you stand up with us right now? We're going to sing um, just a, a bridge and a chorus together of this song. Um, and I just invite you. Um, I invite you to raise your hands. Um, I invite you, if you need to just close your eyes and worship how you want to worship, how you feel called to worship right now. Um, there's no there's no need to um, do anything that you That's not inherently you. But I just charge you, all the things we talked about this morning, it all ends up in in worshiping, in this undignified worship. And so why don't we sing this out together?